Don't know when, don't know why. Only look straight to the sky. Just the changing of the tides. Simplify, simplify. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. We talked about the top 10 moments of 2021 in our last two episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic far more depressing. We're talking about the worst 10 moments of the 2021 season. Guys, how are you? Doing good, Mark. Yeah, we go from kind of the, the good moments. Now we're going to the bad moments as the playoffs continue to progress. We are almost at the World Series now, so kind of funny how we're going to talk about the worst moments when the World Series is about to start for the Blue Jays, but that's okay. And uh, yeah, I'm doing very well, though, as much as I still miss the Jays. Yeah, and I got to be honest, for a few moments there, I was rooting for the Red Sox over the Astros. I know it's the lesser of two evils that you have to choose between, but um, I do want the Red Sox to go to the World Series because I, I think I hate the Astros just a little bit more, and I just want that karma. But Jacob, how are you? You know what? I, this is going to sound weird, but I think I'm actually more excited to talk about the, the worst moments of the season than I was the best moments, just because think of it like what we have written down here. I think a lot of it can explain what happened and what went wrong with this team. So maybe looking into these things is what we need to do in order to figure out what happens next year. But you know what? I uh, I definitely do miss this team and it feels weird when, you know, the, the Leafs have five days in between their games and you're so used to just having maybe two games in a day. So it's just, it's definitely a bit of an uh, adjustment period, but happy to be here. And some of these things on our list will cause some, uh, some arguments, but I I think it'll definitely be fun. That's why you got to do what Bryson's doing. Start cheering for the Raptors. He's got the rap hats on. He's ready. I watch all of them. It's just, it still is weird. I have multiple days in between. Yeah. Um, Yeah, this is going to be a fun podcast or a miserable podcast. We'll find out. Um, For anyone listening who maybe already has high blood pressure or is not in a great mood, might not be the podcast for you to listen to this morning because it's not going to be fun to talk about a lot of these moments for the Blue Jays. But let's kick it off right away with moment number 10, the worst 10 moments of the Blue Jays season. Moment number 10. Uh, And just a quick note before we begin. These are kind of in order relatively in order but when it comes to ranking the top 10 worst moments of a season we found it was very difficult to get it down to an exact order as it was for the top 10 moments of the 2021 season so they're in a rough order but it's not exact it's more just all these moments suck and let's reflect on it but the first one is the Blue Jays against the Tampa Bay Rays on May 21st when they gave up a grand slam a grand slam in extra innings two outs this is going to be a grand slam, folks. Francisco Mejia jumped on that first pitch fastball and hit it on the roof beyond the fence in right. 
So there are so many moments on this list that are about the Blue Jays in extra innings or in the ninth inning. Um, and this one was especially painful. It's uh, Blue Jays raised May 21st, as I mentioned. It's a 5-5 game at the end of the sixth inning. And it actually stays that way until the 12th inning. And, you know, we're going to talk about the bullpen a lot today. A lot of the the names that are going to pop up is Tyler Chatwood and Rafael Dolis. But remarkably, this game actually stays tied 5-5 until the 12th inning. Um, but in the 12th inning, the Rays broke, blow it open on a Francisco Mejia grand slam. The Blue Jays score two in the bottom of the 12th. They try to make it interesting, but they ultimately still lose nine to seven. Um, the worst part I think of this game and, uh, uh, Jacob, you and I did a live stream after and it was staying up through the entire game through the, I think it was four and a half hours only to be very disappointed at the end and with the end result. And I think it was a sign of things to come, a sign of the start of the Blue Jays bullpen struggles. And they certainly continued. And we have a lot of games from uh, like a two week stretch in May and June on our list. But um, it was an important stretch of the season for the Blue Jays too. They were facing Boston, Tampa Bay, and the Yankees for 10 straight games. Um, And there are a lot of moments from that stretch that have ended up on this list. Yeah, that was those Dunedin days. As as much fun as they seemed to be at the time, those were brutal. When you look back on it, I mean, if I remember, the Blue Jays were eleven and ten, I think, in those games or the the home games. So it, it wasn't necessarily the kindest to them. But yeah, you mentioned that stream. I think it was around one a.m. by the time we actually did that, and by the time the game finished. And I mean, I was probably going to stay up anyways, to be honest. But it just to have that type of not favorable situation take place it's just it kind of hurts especially when you watch pretty much the entire game and you were home because we were still in lockdown and everything it was like this is really the only thing we can do and then the Blue Jays just uh, they just did not do what we wanted them to do but I think more importantly that series it it wasn't a six game losing streak at that point but they had a six game losing streak at the end of it they got swept in the four games against the Rays and it just that was honestly just a brutal game, and especially the inning prior in the 11th, Joel Payams actually got out of a, I think it was either a bases loaded or a couple men on jam, he had a 3-2 count, and he threw like a 3-2 curveball, I'm not sure why he did that, it worked out, and he was just he was just cheering throughout the entire, uh, basically his entire walk to the dugout was him screaming, like it looked like a Jason Grilly type moment, and we felt really excited about that, it was like, okay, yeah, let's, you know, we're going to rally, it's we got out of a huge jam and then off the first pitch to uh, Mejia he he charged whoever it was for four runs and it just it really did uh, it lowered the morale I think of the team and it just it was one of those moments where had maybe one or two of things gone right or, or gone differently the team could have won and I think I'm gonna probably end up saying this a lot I talked about the World Series a lot last week I think this week a lot of the, what I'm gonna mention is very minor things or or things that seemed a little minor ended up resulting in a loss and those losses I mean the Blue Jays were one game out of a playoff spot and had they have won maybe even just one of these games that we'll talk about maybe not this one because this one was a little bit of a it was a back and forth game and they ended up losing but there were a few games where one thing could have gone differently and then maybe the the entire season the trajectory trajectory of it would have been different but in terms of this game it was just a rough stretch for the blue jays they i think they won like six straight before the losing streak and then the the rays just came in and just destroyed them so it was not a very good time to be a blue jay fan and it just it was one of those things again you know middle of may 
that was when the injuries were really starting to get them. Like they had only a couple starters at that time. Most of their relievers were on the IL or had either gone on the IL, been out for the season or, you know, whatever it was. So most of the guys in the bullpen were not the ones who had expected to be in the bullpen. And that's not to say that they were bad or that they were the B team, but to some extent that, that that's not who the Blue Jays expected to have. And it just, it, it was one of those things. It was a, just a snowball effect of injuries and, and underperformances. And it resulted in, unfortunately, a very bad moment at probably around 1 a.m. Eastern for the Blue Jays. See, the problem is, is you know, we're going to talk about that. And yeah, Jacob, you are right. But the thing is, you're not going to be the only one saying that today in terms of, oh, just one mistake less. And look where the Jays were kind of like, maybe, just maybe they'd be in a 163 or in a wild card game uh, a couple weeks ago. And that's why this kind of you know, top 10 list is a bit depressing because when we're talking about these one, like less moments, these are the ones specifically we're talking about because we even touched on it the day uh, the season ended. And um, this is exactly what we were talking about. So we're going to, you're going to hear a lot about this today. And yeah, I mean, when you want to start things off, yes, the Dunedin days were uh, very dark and it is kind of weird because when you think about it, like it feels like they happened like forever ago. Like it just doesn't feel like it was recent at all. And it just feels like it was a completely different, like just everything was different. And that's obviously because of the venue and everything. And yeah, like the, the current state of the world or I guess where we were as a country at that time too. Um, many are very different to where we are today. So it was just kind of one out of many. And I think we're going to, that's something that I kind of will, uh, you know, take um, ownership of one out of many today uh, moments where it's just, you know, late in games and whatnot, most of these situations were the bullpen. And this exactly was another uh, situation. Um, what, what do you call it? Sorry, where the bullpen kind of um, kind of got things out of hand for you. And that's the problem because at this time too, it was what? It was May 21st at the time, you know, basically what we were saying at the time as well. And I know a lot of our opinions and that's kind of the way sports work is that they get outdated very quickly. But at the time when we were uh, we were recording all this and we were kind of talking about how, you know, the Jays were hovering about around 500 at the time and, um, you know, they need to go on a run. And that run didn't happen until August, the end of July. But at the time, basically what we were saying was, and pretty much a lot of people agree with this, is that, you know, by the time May or the calendar flips to May, that's when you want to kind of figure things out and head in the right direction. And unfortunately for this team, they just didn't do that this year um, early enough in the season. And that's obviously one of the flaws of why they missed out of where they were uh, a couple of weeks ago. And this is ex- another prime example. May 21st, you're expecting this team to kind of eventually go in the right direction. And pretty much for, you know, all the way from April to when they came back to Toronto, uh, they were hovering about around 500. So we had a lot of these games where uh, they would win games, obviously, and you'd feel like, okay, you know, this is it. This is the start of something special. And then the next day, the bullpen would come out or, you know, anyone specifically. I, I don't want to mention names just yet because we're going to get into more <laughs> uh, other meltdowns. But, you know, I'll just say the bullpen in particular, that's how you lose a game. And, you know, as a team, you lose the game late and unfortunately you can't recover. And that was the one thing, too, with this team is when they lost the game late, they didn't recover. They would always kind of recover with a couple runs, like you mentioned, and the um, you know the Jays kind of added a couple runs in the bottom half of that inning, but they fell short, and that was kind of the um, the story of the season as well. They were just short, and um, at the time too, right? You you had you know the Tampa Bay Rays, and we all know uh, the Jays 
struggle usually against the Rays. I know later on in the year they definitely played a lot better against the Rays, but at the time it was early on in the season, and it just didn't feel like it was going to go well, especially when you're in Dunedin, in Florida, probably more Rays fans as much as there's barely any Rays fans in existence, but it's not hard to kind of (laughs) outperform the Jays at Dunedin Stadium when you have more uh, visiting fans than actual Jays fans is what I mean. So we saw that a lot as well uh, with how Dunedin worked. And um, yeah, I mean, the Jays come out, score two in the bottom bottom of the 12th, but it fell short, like I just mentioned. And, uh, you know, the fact that this was a almost a four and a half hour game too, doesn't make things a lot better either. You guys mentioned it, that you guys went live that night and um, probably not fun talking about a meltdown at 1.30 in the morning. So, I mean, <laughs> it's just a lot of things here where there's a lot of red flags. I don't, you know, that's been the trend lately, red flag. So, I mean, I think all these moments deserve a red flag, but especially recording or kind of live streaming that late at night about this is a massive red flag for me. <laughs> I don't think it was quite 1.30 in the morning. I think it was probably about 12 if it was a four and a half hour game. Okay, but yeah. Still... You know, not a great time to be talking about the Blue Jays blowing a lead. And it always feels like, you know, when you're in the middle of a season, every single game, the latest game is the most important game that you're playing. And it felt like that at the moment with that big stretch against those teams. And like, yeah, maybe you look at it through the lens of, yeah, this game was very important. If they won this game, then the Blue Jays are tied for a wild card spot. Or maybe you look at it through the lens of there's 162 games. This was May, it doesn't matter at all. No matter what, it's still a painful loss in the moment. It's still a painful moment for the Blue Jays. But we move on to moment number nine from the season. It's the triple play the Yankees turned against the Blue Jays on June 17th. Simeon came down the line. Now they've got Bo hung up between second and third. Now Simeon breaks for home, and they've got him in a rundown. And now they'll tag him out, and Bo is out at third. How about that for a triple play? So this is a similar kind of cursed stretch for the Blue Jays. Um, The Jays had lost three in a row coming into this game. They had lost two in a row um, to start the series against New York in Buffalo. They're at risk of being swept by New York. And uh, it's the first inning. Finally, they've got an opportunity to score. They got an opportunity to get ahead and uh, hopefully avoid the sweep. Blue Jays have runners on second and third. There's no outs. And then they ground into... A triple play of all things. It's just a you know colossal base running mistake. All triple plays are some sort of base running mistake. It doesn't happen normally um, based on just you know luck and uh, a good play by the defense. But this one was especially so. It's the first one three six two five six triple play in MLB history. Um, and the Jays go on to lose this game eight to four. They get swept in this series. They end up losing five in a row including the next game against Baltimore. And um, I'm going to mention this a little bit in a couple of our other moments because we have other moments from this series on this list. But it was especially frustrating to lose this game because it's in Buffalo and it's against the Yankees. So it's essentially a road game. You're essentially on the road with fans rooting against you actively for every single moment. And I went to see a Red Sox game in Buffalo and the Blue Jays fans were outnumbered against the Red Sox, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in there against the Yankees. It must have been a horrible moment, um, you know, for the Blue Jays to be in there, ground into a triple play, everyone's cheering against you, you're supposed to be playing at home, it's entering the dog days of summer, you just want to get out of there as soon as possible. So that comes in at number nine on our list. See, I know that this was against the Blue Jays, but I can't help but just find oh, it a no. little bit 
funny oh, no. that it happened. Like, no. just, I, just hear me out. Like, uh, triple plays are rare. I think if off the top of my head, there was one in Seattle maybe four or five years ago or whenever it was that the Blue Jays hit into. That one was terrible. Like, if you remember, there was, I think it was Pilar and Ezekiel Carrera. But whatever. This one, kind of cool if you're just a baseball fan in general. And for some reason every single baseball-related Instagram account and Twitter account posted about it, so pretty much nobody could escape it, whether you wanted to or not. But, like, it was just... It was one of those moments where I didn't necessarily like it, and you're sitting there thinking, oh, come on, you have a a rally going, and then you you hit into a triple play, and you end the inning. The season's not been going well so far. Like, you you need a win desperately. It, It was just one of those things where, despite all that, I was like, oh, okay. I can kind of laugh at, at my own pain. It was just kind of a, it was, it was an awful moment, but it just, I, I don't really have too much to say other than it just, it was, it was not a good moment considering the context. However, looking back, it's one of those things where I can just kind of snicker and say, oh, that happened. And, you know, we, we kind of just look back on it and it wasn't a good moment, but you, you kind of, to some degree can laugh at it. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, yeah, triple players are not what you want to ground into because the video goes everywhere. Like no matter where you go on social media, it's there. It's on highlight reels forever. Everyone knows that, you know, any kind of blend or blunder or anything like that, that significant, you're on a highlight reel forever. So yeah, grounding into a triple play is uh, definitely something that you don't want to happen. And based off the circumstances that you were mentioning, Mark, you know, I just remember too, pretty much um, that, how I felt that day or kind of when the Jays eventually, you know, returned to Salem Field and then they were hosting the Red Sox and Yankees, like, it really, like, and I'm sure everyone can speak for it, but, like, it, it really pissed me off, like, all those fans. And, like, it really just got me irritated and very, like, moody about the game uh, even before it started when you're kind of, like, you know, you're watching and then you kind of, like, see that, you know, Yankees fan, Yankees fan, Yankees fan, and you're, like, like, it's a home game in Buffalo, yes, but, like, is there not one Jays fan in that building right now? And um, it was very hard for it to believe that there was at that time. So that definitely doesn't help. Uh, the fact that that was the case in terms of being outnumbered pretty much every game that the Jays hosted, either the Red Sox or the Yankees. And even in um, Dunedin, it was just as bad. But obviously in Buffalo, it was even worse because that was obviously closer to actually Boston and New York. So not a good feeling whatsoever. And uh, yeah, just grounding a no triple play. The Jays have done it a few times over the years and you just kind of like you just kind of look at it and you're just like it just sucks like you're like here we go now you're gonna see this everywhere you go on Instagram Twitter and then um, you know either if it's lucky or not it's just something that always you know seems to happen and it would just feel good to watch the Jays turn a triple play I know they did back in 2012 or 2013 but you'd rather you know you're it's kind of we're kind of due for a triple play <laughs> sooner rather than later a couple teams i think did a like more than one this year from what i remember i think there was a, a team that did it twice or it was either like once for the past two years consecutively so triple plays are obviously very rare they're very unique though when they do happen but not when it's against your team and i think everyone could speak for that so yeah that's just definitely kind of um a little bit of a you know just it just it just sucks. Like it's not you know it's not one situation where you look back and say you know this cost of the Jays is a playoff a playoff spot. It was just one in particular moment which makes this um, kind of you know moment special or unique in this list is that it didn't really you know have an impact on the Jays like future in the standings or anything like that. It was just kind of a moment that happened I guess at like during a game that just um, that just sucked to to you know make it as plain and simple. Yeah, and I think in that moment I think the favorite part of 
obviously a horrible play for the Blue Jays. But after Bo Bichette is tagged out at third base, he just kind of like raises his hands and looks around. And I don't know if he was looking to the dugout for them to, um, you know, review it, which they ended up doing, although it didn't go the Blue Jays way. But he just looks so dejected. He's like, what is happening? What did I do to get into this situation? And yeah, like I could imagine the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music playing at that moment in Bo Bichette's head. But um, yeah, a lot of these moments, they matter for the Blue Jays. They ended up costing the Blue Jays. But this moment is just something that's frustrating. And I think um, for most of the items on this list, whether they impacted the Blue Jays or not, we can look back at them and kind of laugh at them in hindsight. Most of them are one game where things just went entirely south. And um, we can look back at it in hindsight and and you know, get a good chuckle out of it and not be so depressed. There's a couple items on this list that are just absolutely horrible. And when we get to them, we're not going to be joking around, but this is one of those moments that you can look back on and it sucks. It sucks that it happened to the Blue Jays, but in hindsight, it's just something that you can laugh off and yeah, sure. Triple play, a little bit of a novelty. Um, but okay, moving on to moment number eight. This is, I think one of those horrible moments that you can't really laugh off, but it's Ross Stripling's meltdown the day before the Yankees triple play on June 16th against the Yankees. There's that big knuckle curve, grounded slowly to third. Panic, throws the ball past Guerrero, who gets gently shoved by Stanton and trying to get some separation, and Guerrero goes down, and Stripling not happy. Did he just yell at Panic? Wow. You know, Panic did have time to glove it, he, and, and certainly Stripling's right, but just you just do not want to show up your teammate like that. So at this moment in the season, kind of talked about it, the Blue Jays have just lost a couple games to Boston. Now they're facing New York. They're in Buffalo. They're essentially on the road. Um, I can't imagine what it would be playing in that moment at Salem Field in front of Yankees fans you think it's going to be a home game it's not we talked about that um anyways at this moment in the season frustrations are buildings for the Blue Jays um it's the sixth inning Ross Stripling's on the mound he's a starter at that point in the season he induces a ground ball to the third baseman Joe Panic. um it's Giancarlo Stanton running and if I remember correctly Stanton had an injury at that part of the season I don't remember if it was a lower body injury or like a rib injury or something like that but He's running slowly. He's not running at full speed. Panic doesn't see this. He charges the grounder. He rushes his throw, and uh, the throw gets away from whoever was playing first base at the time, probably Vladdy, um, and Stripling just kind of erupts. He kind of throws his hands up, and he you know, throws him against the ground, and he yells like, he's walking, and he's just, he's just pissed at um, Joe Panic, and it's an ugly moment for the Blue Jays. And then we see later they kind of have an interaction in the dugout, and then we hear the apology from Ross Stripling after the game and the next day on social media. Um, and Ross Stripling, all kudos to him. He deserves it for the way he handled this and the way he kind of admitted to, I think he said it was his worst moment on a baseball field in his career. Um, so, you know, props to him for understanding how ugly it looked. But just in the moment and looking back on this moment, um, it was a horrible moment. For the Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, we talk about how good this team is uh, in terms of being, you know, friends with each other and the chemistry that they have. This was probably the one, I think, the one sour patch if uh, in, in terms of the entire season, because like it, it was brutal. I mean, as fans, I think we can all say that we react similarly to the way Stripling did. Like, 
I, I don't know how I didn't have a stroke after watching that last Yankee series, to be completely honest. <laughs> like, I was getting into it, and I think a lot of people were. However, it's a little bit different when a player does that when they're angry. And I, we've started to, obviously, we see emotion being showed when guys are happy. But to see something like this, it definitely, you feel bad for, I think, panic more than anything. And you, you obviously, I do feel bad for Ross Dripling, too, because I'm sure he was extremely embarrassed and he was open about it and how he messed up and he wanted to make things better and i think he on twitter retweeted somebody's tweet saying uh, young ball players if you uh, don't do something like this again like he made it a, a big learning experience for not just him but everybody especially young play, uh, players which i did appreciate however the one thing that i don't necessarily like or or i don't know it's just kind of a byproduct of what happened is you do feel bad for Joe Panic because, first of all, nobody wants to make an error. Nobody wants to be called out. However, when Ross Stripling came to him in the dugout, there really wasn't much that he could do. Like, you're not going to show up a guy in the dugout with the cameras watching you. Like, look what happened with Tatis and, and Machado. That was all over social media. And that was a completely different situation. And And I think we can all say we agree with Machado. But in terms of this, it was like really what was joe supposed to do is he's just supposed to yell at him no he's obviously he's gonna say you know thanks for the apology but i do think or at least i'd like to hope that there was some sincerity in the acceptance of the apology and the apology itself because it just it was it's a brutal thing and you talk about how you're you are teammates at the end of the day like you can you're supposed to be on this i mean no pun intended but you're on the same team you're you're supposed to be working together and this was just one of those situations where it didn't work out you know obviously errors happen they they happen all throughout the season but to ha- kind of have somebody call you out and the guy that you're supposed to be like you're supposed to back your pitcher up but the pitcher's also supposed to back you up with you know making good pitches and everything this just wasn't one of those situations and the frustration really did boil over uh it it was it's really it was not a good moment you know at least at least you can say that this was a learning experience for a lot of people because obviously a lot of people saw it and there was a lot of reaction throughout the 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 next 24 30 hours so at least a lot of people can learn and say okay we're not going to do this but it's still one of those things that even even if uh, you accept the apology and, and everything's kind of over you still if you were involved in that situation i think you'd still feel a little bit angry about it and Honestly, I couldn't really blame anybody for feeling that way. It's just, it, it was not, not one of the, the, the thing that you've seen the Blue Jays be throughout the last two, three months of the season. That was the last thing you would expect to see early on in the year. And I don't think that it necessarily means the team doesn't like each other or there's no chemistry. It just, it was just not, it, there was just too much frustration and it boiled over. Guys were angry. Errors, nobody likes errors, obviously. It's just, it was, honestly it was just a pretty bad thing to see and you just you hope that six months later whatever it is there's no bad blood hopefully maybe I mean I, I don't really know guys in their personal lives but hopefully they've at least worked it out and resolved it and I think Panic or, or uh, Stripling rather talk to the team like in the dugout or, or excuse me in the clubhouse after the game talk to them so hopefully I mean this is months ago but hopefully that to some degree this has been resolved because I think the last thing you want is from two veterans like panic and stripling and all these young guys in the clubhouse to see some type of argument because the team does lo- uh, really like each other and you just hope that things like this can really continue and or, or discontinue and that the what we saw throughout the last third of the season really is is the true reflection of the blue jays and 
you know what, if you make an error, it's okay. Somebody else will back you up because at the end of the day, this is a team. And I think that, you know, I'd like to think that these guys all have moved past that because it, you know, yes, it was between two guys, but it was on display for everybody. And you just, you hope that this was the, the learning experience and that, that guys wanted and that it, it does not happen again. Yeah, I just think when you look at it from the heat of the moment, you know, coming from someone like Ross Stripling, who kind of got off to a really bad start um, throughout his season, I mean, in two starts in April, uh, an ERA of 756, and it didn't really get better from him until, what, around June? And I think May was also a month where he kind of struggled, or maybe that was when uh, he began to turn things around. It got a little bit better for him uh, in May, but uh, 440 ERA in in six games, because he had the one where he came out of the bullpen as the opener, so... You know, April was pretty much very, like, haunting for him. And you have to kind of take into account that um, in the heat of the moment at that time, for somebody who's struggling as much as he was, he got mad. And, there, you know, there's nothing wrong with him getting mad. Obviously, he expressed his frustration in the wrong way because he went right after Joe Panic on live TV and everyone kind of understood what was going on. But he was very quick, back to what Mark mentioned a few minutes ago of how he was very well at handling the uh, situation. We all know that Ross Stripling is a good person. Like we all know that he didn't intend to do this. And uh, as much as he was in the wrong, he came out and apologized right away and kind of handled it correctly, which made him, you know, in the right for that. So I'm, I'm happy he did that. But I just take it into account of people who want to win. And uh, for Ross Tripling, you know, for somebody who was struggling as much as he was, you can understand why he was, you know, on edge or it just, you know, you got to find a better way to express it or kind of hide it, your anger and kind of pitch through it. And that's not, not that's not what happened, unfortunately, that day. So um, it was very, it was handled well afterward. And that's all I can really ask for. And for the future for Ross Tripling, um, you know, the season obviously t- made a turn for him around May and June. So he did get better, but, you know, the one thing you take away from was for people watching is that, you know, that's something that especially in uh, professional sports that you don't do. So I'm just happy that it was handled correctly afterward. And, um, you know, from that, for that reason alone, I'm kind of, you know, kind of forgot about that situation, to be honest with you as well. And for that reason alone, too, I give him a pass for what happened. But, um, you know, I'd be very surprised if he'd made the same mistake twice in terms of that. So there's not really much more to say uh, from my opinion about that. And I thought it was handled correctly. Yeah, and from what I remember, after he kind of apologized to Joe Panic in the moment, um, I think he said it was kind of like he didn't think it was a big deal, but then after the game, going back to the clubhouse, he watched that moment on replay on Twitter and his phone is blowing up and he realizes how bad it looks. And I think, like you said, Jacob, I think he decided to address the clubhouse right then and there and kind of just stand up and take responsibility for it. So, yeah, you love stripling all the more for it, even though it was a dark moment for him. Um, he comes out of it looking pretty good the way he handled it um, as a leader in the clubhouse. But, um, again, just, you know, sheer raw emotion in the moment at the time looks very bad for him and very bad for the Blue Jays. But let's move on to another moment. And as with all these moments, of course, they all look bad for the Blue Jays. But this comes the exact same um, stretch the, the, the exact same road trip for the Blue Jays. It's June 11th, which is a series before all these Yankee shenanigans that we just talked about. Um, the Blue Jays are playing the Red Sox at Fenway Park and they blow a 5-1 lead. Base is loaded. Here it comes. And he missed with ball four and that forces in a run. And the Red Sox continue to chip away. I'm telling you, beautiful thing, ball four. All the way to the backstop. Here comes Vasquez breaking. He will score. The runners move up 
to second and third. It's 5-4. And it drills him, and that's going to load the bases again. Swing a high fly ball. That one driven deep to left. There it goes. It's gone. The second night in a row for Christian Arroyo. Dolis with a 1-2. Swing a high fly. That one heading back toward the wall. It's going to catch the green. Here comes Santana rounding third. And the Red Sox walk it off. And a knockoff Toronto. 6-5. to five. Um. This is the first game of the series. Um, the Blue Jays go on to win the middle two games, including that 18-4 win on a Sunday, and then they lose 2-1 to one in game four after that flatty home run that we talked about in our previous episode, the top 10 moments of the season. Um, Blue Jays are up 5-1 to one in the sixth inning. I was at this game. I was having the time of my life. It was the first game I went to kind of after the, the lockdown of the pandemic. It was the first Major League Baseball game I had been to in almost two years. Um, having the time of my life, I thought for sure they would win at this point. That was my mistake. It was Fenway Park. Should never make that assumption. Um, Ross Stripling coming up again. He was a starter in this game. He gives up a run in the sixth inning and then gets pulled. And in comes everyone's favorite reliever, <laughs> Tyler Chatwood. Um, this is the first Tyler Chatwood mentioned in this podcast, but he's going to be mentioned a lot in the upcoming moments. Um, I think he's probably got like four or five moments all to himself on this list. Um, he goes hit by pitch, a walk with the bases loaded to drive in a run, a wild pitch to give up a run, a hit by pitch with the to load the bases again, and then he gets pulled. Um, thankfully, Tim Meza gets out of this inning. Jays are still up 5-4, but then we go to the bottom of the eighth. Christian Arroyo hits a solo home run off Carl Edwards Jr. That's a throwback name, Edwards Jr., to tie it. And then Rafael Dolis, another favorite guy of all Blue Jay fans, a fan favorite. He comes in in the bottom of the ninth. Um, a throwing air for Bo Bouchette. It was Guriel at first, so you know maybe if Flatty's there, he gets it. But ultimately, the onus is on Bo Bouchette to make a good throw. Um, but the, the runner gets to second on that play, and then Alex Verdugo hits a single to walk it off, 6-5. So just you know, collapse on every regard for the Blue Jays. Multiple innings with bullpen failures. Uh, defensive failure in the ninth inning that costs the Blue Jays. And who knows if Rafael Dolis gets out of that, if Bobochet doesn't make that throwing error. But a very painful moment for the Blue Jays at that point in the season. And the, the losses at this part of the season just kept adding up. You have the Red Sox series with a couple frustrating losses. You have that Yankees series, which we've already talked about twice. It was just a cursed stretch of games for the Blue Jays. This, honestly, on, we should probably just do a May and June recap and, and call it the worst moments of the <laughs> season because this was just brutal. And like at the end of the day, like this was the beginning of the end for Tyler Chatwood and Rafael Delis had not had a good season going into the into this outing. And I don't know. I I think I was the one that said he was going to be the closer. And well, he did the exact opposite of close. He blew games. But, you know, for Tyler Chatwood, like it's just literally nothing went right for him. And it just, yeah, okay, the Blue Jays still had the lead, but they didn't end up winning. They didn't have the lead, but or, or didn't end with the lead. But this was just such a brutal game, and he just nothing that he did seemed to either get over the plate or get by a hitter. And just to note, three of the runs that Chatwood allowed technically weren't even charged to him; like they were charged to Ross Stripling, and that really inflated his ERA. Like we talk about how good of a stretch he was was having coming into that only f uh, one run over whatever it was five and two thirds or whatever it was that you said there it then went up to four runs and that really inflated his era i think it put it back over four it was under four going into that starter or like 
when he was pulled from the game, it was under four, and that really inflated his ERA, and artificially, to be fair. Like, yes, he, the way baseball works, if you leave a runner on and the next pitcher uh, gets up or gives up a hit, that's charged to you. I understand that, but if you're Ross Stripling, how are you not thinking, come on, like, I just gave you a good outing, and like what is this like i uh, we talk about the frustration from the last outing or or the last uh, incident honestly i would be feeling even more frustrated and i know he learned from it and or excuse me this was before but still like i would feel equally as frustrated to to see just a teammate unfortunately let you down and you know you, you look at some of the offense like vladimir guerrero junior at the end of that i think he threw his helmet or slammed it down and just sat on the bench in disbelief i think he was dhing that game so yeah, he obviously wasn't on the field, but you see guys that are contributing and guys that are doing their jobs looking like, like, what is this? It's like when you're doing one of those group projects in school back in those days and you'd be pulling your weight and somebody just is not doing their job. And, and you realize like you almost feel as if your work went to nothing. And, and that's what I think a lot of these offense offensive pieces were feeling. It's like, come on, we need these wins. We had it going into the later portions of the game and you blow it like it's just it, it was frustrating in the moment and I think we all agreed and we said this all throughout the season all throughout our when we started doing the series recaps pretty much every time or at least once or twice a week or, or a month or whatever we talked about how there was one game in that series that was going to end up haunting the Blue Jays this was one of them one of far too many games that you should have won you could have won like you had it you had a, a four to four run lead it just it was one of those things that you can't be blowing games like that and at least the only thing that I think is a good a good thing that we can take from this is the bullpen in that game is completely different than the bullpen that we saw at the end of the season and it's completely different from the bullpen that we can expect next season so hopefully we do not have as many blown leads and blown games the Blue Jays led the league in blown games with blown bullpen games with I think it was 17 or probably more than that it was 17 at one point it's probably in the, the 20s at this point or or at the end of the season but all you can hope is that these negatives don't happen and that's why I said I was kind of excited to talk about this because we can look at what went wrong and kind of ease our nerves for next season because you know that Tyler Chatwood's not here you know that Dolis is not here you know that Simber Richards, both of them are here for next season. Simber's here for the next three seasons, I think. So at least you know that if you're in a tight game, you have your big four and you trust your big four. Now, I don't want to jinx anything and say that people can fall off next season, but based off of the precedent that was set this season or, or towards the end of the season, at least we know that things like this will not happen again, or at least you hope it to, to a lesser extent. Because as we've said, one game was the difference between a tiebreaker and going home after uh, destroying the Orioles. So it, it was definitely a, a hard thing to watch. I remember I, there was a ton of things going on that day for me, and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to stay and watch the game. Uh, well, I ended up leaving my house right after the that last pitch was thrown, and I just screamed on my street in the pitch black. Like, it, it was brutal. <laughs> all you can hope, okay. last thing I'll say, all you can hope is these things don't happen again because the Blue Jays are too good of a team to consistently blow games and, and consistently or just lose winnable games and not end up making the playoffs because of it. Yeah, Jacob, what you were talking about, kind of like that school project thing you were talking about, where <laughs> it's pretty much where um, you, you do nothing, but you get an A+. But for the Jays' perspective, 
they didn't get an A+. They continued to get like an, a failure when they blew these games. So <laughs> that's why it just made it even worse than what it sounded and or what it sounded like. And yeah, my takeaway too, I agree with what you said, Jacob, is that, you know, look where they were at that time and then look what it turned out to be. So it's probably not going to be that bad ever again, you know. I think the Jays have learned a lot this year from their bullpen as well, and I think that it's going to be an area of priority this offseason. Obviously, it was not last season. Uh, it was George Springer, and I think maybe at the time they maybe got a little bit distracted from other things. But either way, you can't complain about getting um, Springer last year. So this year, though, we at least we know that they have the core, and we they you know the offense is pretty much almost taken care of, except they have a couple holes like what's going to happen with Simeon and all that. But we've discussed that already. But the the main priority for sure, and one of them will be the bullpen. So as long as they can fix it this winter and make sure. Um, you know, the bullpen obviously is in a lot of a better state when the spring comes because obviously the bullpen um, from 2021 pretty much got a lot better at the trade deadline. And from April to that point on, it wasn't like that. It was very, you know, look at the names that we, we've been mentioning. And as much as these guys are Blue Jays killers, you know, and they were on the Jays, which, which made it even worse. You know, it just <laughs> you haven't heard a lot of these names in a while in terms of Dolis, uh, Chatwood and all of them. So, they need to f- make sure the bullpen is in good hands for the spring. It needs to start off good. And I think that's going to be a massive difference maker for them. But I think they know that. And I think that's why, you know, I do have a lot of confidence for next year as well with the bullpen. Because, first of all, the main pieces are there. And that's another thing you alluded to, Jacob, is that these guys are under contract for a few years still, which is good news. But, you know, there's a lot of other names and a lot of other areas in the bullpen that obviously need improvement, more like in the middle innings, because. That was obviously something that was not a strength for the Jays still at the end of the year. Later on in the um, the game, you had Richard, Simber, Romano, of course. That was obviously an area of strength. But in the middle innings, still not the greatest. And that's why that's pretty much the biggest, I guess, need or room for improvement for this bullpen. And once they figure that out, they need a couple more pitchers, I think. You know, maybe a lefty still, a couple more lefties. Either way, they're going to be upgrading for sure it's going to put the bullpen in a much better position. And I think that's why, you know, the Jays learned a lesson. And as much as, you know, the amount of times that this bullpen kind of lost games for them on paper and in the heat of the moment or whatnot, because they did, there is a massive lesson that I'm sure the front office learned. I'm sure us fans learned a lot from seeing it basically every night from those um, that stretch during the season from, what, April to pretty much June. It might not have happened every night, but... It was at least happening a few times a week, and you know the amount of uh, time or the amount of winnable games that the Jays obviously lost. It, there was a lot. There was more. You know, there was a lot, and some may not even you. You might not even be able to use your your hands to count uh, the amount of times that they they lost games. No matter if you want to over kind of criticize something or kind of state the obvious, because there was a lot where you know somebody comes in and right away you're like, uh oh, and then of course it happens. So, you know, Mark, I know you mentioned too with uh, the throwing error by Bichette. And Dolis kind of blowing the game. And, you know, people wonder um, if, you know, maybe Dolis would have gotten out of the inning if there was no error. My confidence in that bullpen is so low that I'm willing to guarantee to you if there was no error, there would have st- they would have still found a way to blow the game. And I, I know it's, you know, obviously you can't really prove that because it didn't happen. But it just shows it just shows to you the confidence that obviously I have and pretty much every other fan has when the bullpen kind of came into effect early on in the season at that time you're like here we go you know what's going to happen today are they going to load the bases are they just going to give up home runs it was still the same result but you just kind of wondered you know how they how are they going to do it this time and that's why it was kind of something it was we saw everything and that's just kind of to, to summarize it at the least so that's 
where I stand with the bullpen and obviously that, you know, that situation itself. Yeah, I'm willing to bet 95% of Blue Jay fans would say the exact same thing as you, that the Blue Jays blow that game regardless of the Bichette air, whether it happens or not. But just another nail in the coffin for the Blue Jays there. All right, moving on to the next moment, moment number six. Caught in the ALCS a year ago. Reyes, and that one gets by a charging Palacios all the way to the wall. Reyes all the way to third. They're going to wave him home. Santiago puts the windmill on. Reyes is in there, and the Tigers have the lead. This is a Josh Palacios misplay against the Detroit Tigers on August 27th. So we're finally getting away from that cursed stretch of games and we're moving towards the end of the season. Um, again, just one of those moments when you think about what if, what if this hadn't happened? Um, the Blue Jays are winning 1-0 and then Detroit ties it 1-1 in the fourth inning. It stays tied 1-1 going into the bottom of the eighth inning. Um, Blue Jays need to win this game. The playoff hopes are at this point virtually dead. We had already declared them dead a couple series ago. Um, If they wanted to keep anything alive, or so we thought at this moment, they had to win this game. Um, Instead, the first batter in the bottom of the eighth inning, Victor Reyes, he bloops a ball into center field. Uh, normally it would be a single, right? You let it bounce. You field it cleanly off the bounce. You keep him to a single. Um, instead, Josh Palacios dives for it. It gets bas- past him and rolls all the way to the wall. It's an inside part, inside the park home run for the winning run for the Tigers. You can call it an inside the park home run. Maybe you want to call it a little league home run because you blame Palacios for that and you call an error on Palacios. But regardless, it's a winning run for the Tigers. Um, I do want to mention this is not just Palacios' fault. You watch the replay, and it's also a horrible relay throw from both Dickerson and Marcus Simeon. Dickerson, not a surprise. We know he's not the best fielding outfielder. He has a weak arm, and that was proved time and time again down the stretch for the Blue Jays. Marcus Simeon's relay throw from second base home is horrible. <laughs> like it's not online. It's not a good throw. I think it it um it's like halfway up the third baseline. So as much as we can blame Palacios about the decision to dive here, we can also blame Dickerson and Simeon for horrible relay throws that, in most situations, the Blue Jays are able to throw him out at home or he's held at third base. He's not going to come around all the way to score. So, um, still, this was just a brutal part of the season. Um, it's insult to injury to what was already a depressing stretch of games for the Blue Jays. Um but one solace from this moment and potentially what saves it from being higher on the list is the fact that the Blue Jays do turn it around at this point. They win two against Detroit to end this series, and then they get two against Baltimore, and then they go into that fateful Oakland series and um, obviously win eight in a row, and then they have a couple good series after that. So in the end, after this game, after this moment, they went 15-2 and two in the next 17 games. So, you know, you can get mad at this game all you want, but... They did go on a run after this, so I think it lessens the blow a little bit of this horrible moment. See, this might be controversial, but I actually don't blame Palacios for the effort trying to dive and catch the ball. Because, see, here's the thing. We praise guys when they make these good plays, and we know that there's a risk they're not going to make it. Like, every time Pilar or Springer or any of these guys make a good play, there's a risk that they're not going to make that catch. Now, yes, maybe when you're a more established outfielder, you can argue that, well, you get the right to do it. But at the same time, I don't blame Palacios for trying to make that type of play and trying to really not necessarily save the game because obviously it was still tied. It's not like if he makes the catch, they lose. I mean, 
or if he doesn't make the catch, they lose, excuse me. But I don't blame him for at least attempting to catch this ball. And it, obviously it didn't end up working. It went to the, went to the wall. Honestly, though, it's in theory, yes, you should concede the single, maybe take a step back. We even saw that, uh, I think it was in the Oakland series. There were a few plays against the Blue Jays, like the Oakland outfielders did that. And you see this all over baseball, really. Like, instead of trying to make a diving catch, you just concede the single. And you remember Max Kepler in 2016, that Melvin Upton Jr. inside the park home run. You can argue that that was a bad route and that, or not a bad route, but that was a bad mistake and should have caught it or should have conceded the single. But either way, like I, I, it didn't work for the Blue Jays. They ended up giving up a run because of it, but I don't fully blame the effort. It's one of those things where if it works, you see that on the replays for the next few days, few weeks. It's probably on Sportsnet's top plays of the year. Like it would have been a fantastic play had it have worked. Now, arguing if it should have happened or if if Palacio should have allowed it, that's really just a matter of opinion. I, I really don't know. I think that it depends. Like, obviously, it's situational. I shouldn't say that you just concede the single no matter what. However, in that situation, I, I probably would have done what Palacios did and at least attempted to catch the ball. But again, it one of those things, something that seems somewhat minute, results in a loss results in not the season result that we ended up or, or that we hoped for so all you like i said this in the last one you can hope that things like this don't happen next year i mean i'm i'm sure unfortunately for palacios that we won't be seeing much playing time next season i think if you expect springer to be healthy even if gritchick takes a step back doesn't really play as much that's still four starting outfielders and depending on what Corey dickerson's future with the team looks like could be five could be Ford. I mean, I don't, the offseason has, hasn't even started, so I'm not going to totally predict the outfield, but at least you know that the defense is going to be a little bit better. It's going to have a, a solidified outfielders. You know, Gurriel with all his, his outfield assists. Hernandez is an okay defender, not terrible, but then Gritchick and Springer. Like, basically, like, the point is, is it was one of those things, again, where Springer wasn't playing and... Blue Jays kind of suffered because of it. He wasn't able to make those plays. But if you're Palacios, I wouldn't necessarily hold my head low because of it. Like, I would say, okay, you made the effort. It didn't really go your way, but don't take it as you should never make these type of plays again. Like, yeah, you. Sh I think eventually you'll take better routes. You might make better judgment. But in that moment, I would have let him make that, that catch and... If it works, it works. If it doesn't, here we are talking about it. At the time, I partially do blame Palacios. Like, this isn't all on him. It's not. And But I think a part of it definitely is. But the one thing that maybe he can't control is the inexperience. And that's obviously him being young. <laughs> that's obviously him being young. And, um, you know, just being inexperienced. But, you know, you want to make that play. And when you want to think about it, too, with Palacios, is that, you know, for somebody who was kind of on the outside looking in on the depth chart... You know, he wants to make an impression. He wants to make that big play. And that's why it may have had a factor in what happened that night. But definitely inexperienced. But, you know, everyone was kind of talking about that. I remember it was kind of a heavy discussion on social, uh, on social media after. And a lot of people were saying, like, any outfielder or average outfielder needs to know the situation of the game and needs to know when, you know, when you want to dive and when, um, you know, you don't dive. And that was a situation where 
most people uh, came to the conclusion that you don't dive. And then I remember, too, a lot of this also went on Charlie Montoyo. I, I know everything kind of went on Montoyo. But I remember, you know, at least us three had a discussion about this as well, saying, like, should he be criticized for putting in Josh Palacios in a game like this? And people were wondering, you know, where was I don't think Grichik was playing that night. Where was Grichik? You know, where were the other people? And why was Palacios in the game in such an important, you know, scenario and whatnot? But yeah, this was also after the um, the meltdown of a road trip. And it just, um, you know, everyone was kind of losing their mind over everything. So maybe that also had a factor in. And kind of fans were on edge after what they kind of experienced. And a lot of people also thought that by that, when that series was happening, the season may have been over. So or potentially was over and that's also probably why so I think there was a lot of factors that went into this but yeah just to lose off of a walk-off or you know get the go-ahead run against you from a inside the park uh, home run it's another kind of you know feeling that sucks and it kind of relates to a grinding into a triple play kind of because they're just two really you know they're rare plays that when they occur it's just really it's a really massive play and then of course you see it on highlight reels everywhere and the, the also the similarities that both of them have is not only is the team executing it like they do it obviously right you know doing a triple play or getting it inside the park home run but you know a lot of the time too the other team is also the reason why it happens there's always something that happens in terms of an error bad base running in a triple play scenario and then in this case it was kind of like a bad fielding decision so you know the team kind of assists it and kind of you know drives it in that direction so that's also why it's just kind of um, a feeling that also kind of sucks. But uh, there, I do remember this night, and this was interesting because there were so many different opinions and different people to blame for this, and a lot of people didn't even blame Palacios. So a lot of people blame the manager for putting Palacios in that position. So regardless of what side you're on with it, definitely not one of the brighter moments of the season. I know the Tigers were a lot better than what their record showed. They're obviously on the way up in terms of competing, but... This was a team that you should have beat, you know, more than once. And um, in that case, it was just a, it was kind of a winnable game that they lost. But after that, they went on a big run. So I guess you can't really complain as much, but still not a bright spot from the season whatsoever. Yeah, and this is very reminiscent. I don't know if you were referring to this, Jacob, but of the uh, walk-off inside the park home run that they hit, um, I think it was Cleveland against the Blue Jays in 2016 and 2017. That was an all-time horrible moment. For the Blue Jays. So this is, you know, way down on the, the list. It's only number six on this season alone, but just reminiscent of that moment. But um, with six moments down, five to go, we're going to wrap up this episode here, and then we're going to come back to you on Tuesday and finish up our countdown of the worst 10 moments of the 2020 season.